welcome to this week's Vasey View. I've been on a bit of a European tour. I've been to Paris, I've been to the Netherlands, I've been to Israel, and now at last I've arrived in Estonia, which is very, very exciting. My guest this week is Tavi Kopka, and I looked at his Wikipedia page and his photograph makes him look like a Formula One racing driver, but he is much more glamorous and influential than that. He's been a special advisor to Andrus Ansip, who is the Estonian European Commissioner, responsible for the digital single market, somebody I dealt with when I was the digital minister in the UK. But he's also the brains behind a lot of the policy ideas that have made Estonia the poster country for digital government. Ideas like e-residency, data embassies, country in the cloud, and so on. He's been at the forefront of so many of these initiatives. And remember, Estonia is a small country of 1.3 million, but when it comes to digital government, it punches far above its weight. Tavi was the chief information officer of Estonia at the forefront of what is known as e-Estonia. And I think uh, what we're going to talk about on this podcast, I hope will be influential for other countries. Uh, in fact, I came across a quote when I was researching for this podcast where President Obama said, he wished he had called the Estonians before he set up his healthcare website. Tavi, welcome. Yeah, thank you for having me. So, Tavi, I always wanted to just start really by giving people a flavour of where we are uh, in terms of the culture of Estonia, the digital culture. I know where you are. You're in a cabin in the forest eating mushrooms. You've picked, picked yourself <laughs> in what sounds like an idyllic setting. But I always wonder, just as I asked Easy Vidra when I talked about Israel, what is it about, what's in the water in Estonia that set you down this road to become this incredible digital exemplar? Yeah, uh, for, before I start, I, I need to make a small correction. Uh, that uh, often happens on this yeah, podcast. Yeah, so the problem uh, is that uh, <laughs> Estonian digital journey uh, started more than 20 years ago. Mm. And 20 years ago, I was just a small programmer uh, programming our one of our first uh, population registries. Uh, and there were like way smarter people uh, in government who basically set the scene back then, uh, built the baseline for the digital Estonia. Uh, so uh, I can call myself and my team uh, the authors of the second wave. So we have had two major waves in uh, digital government. So first happened like 20 years ago and the second happened like eight, nine years ago. Like so. Uh, so that's a correction. But uh, long story short, uh, it's very simple. Uh, you're absolutely right. It's a small nation, 1.3 million people. But uh, the country is huge land-wise. So uh, land-wise, we are bigger than uh, Switzerland or, or Denmark or Netherlands or Belgium. So which means that uh, outside of the capital, uh, the density is very low. And it was clear for the private sector first that if you want to make business in this kind of uh, small country, you need to push people to use technology. So when the internet came in 1990s, uh, it was clear for the banks and telcos that, oh, 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 we can't have a bank office in every small city or like a small town. And then we need to push people to, to take care of themselves. And uh, they started it, all this digitalization by themselves. 
and then the government followed. And uh, after like 2008-2009 crisis, uh, the private sector cooled down, and then the government uh, continued to in continued to innovate and took the leadership position uh, in this society to become like the digital leader. So uh, it's basically clear. I mean, uh, if you want to govern this country, like uh, you can't have a government officer in every village. Like you need to uh, make e-services available and you need to push people like to use uh, those services by themselves. And, and this happened way before the, the smartphones came. So we had the e-services for computers way also in our history. It's interesting, isn't it? So I think uh, what I think is fascinating about Estonia, which you sort of touched on in that answer, and I, I don't want to denigrate uh, the private sector tech community in Estonia, and we'll talk about Estonian successes there. But it seems to me Estonia has the feel that the gov government itself is the pioneer in groundbreaking digital services. Normally, you find government is way behind the private sector, that the frustration the citizen often feels is I can do X, Y and Z with my supermarket or with my bank. Why can't I do it with government? It feels almost the other way around in Estonia. Yeah, but like uh, the thing you need to build in the 21st century is a digital society. Like, and the word society means it's both. It's not just private sector or it's not just public sector. So it has to be both and they have to collaborate and they have to work together. So if, for example, like uh, uh, like UK or US, like it's very advanced in private sector side, but it's very, how say, I would even say in Stone Age in, in on a government side, like so uh, you have to work together. And many of the solutions uh, we built already 20 years ago, they were actually built together like, because we all, both sectors understood that uh, you can't be alone, like it has to be both sides. So, for example, like uh, if you push people to use uh, cell services and internet, like the first thing you need to understand is like, uh, oh, who is behind device? How can I assure that behind this computer or behind this phone is a particular that person? Like, and how much I can trust this? Like, can I give a loan without seeing a person? Can I vote over internet without seeing a person? Like, all those questions uh, were raised and uh, and they were solved together. Like, private sector and public sector both like uh, acting. So I think, um, you know, from what I've read, it seems to me at the heart of the sort of Estonian e-revolution. It's interesting what you said about, uh, you know, digitization before the advent of the smartphone was the idea of a digital ID card. So this is where every Estonian has a card uh, which they can insert into a keypad. It's got, uh, they have their own code number and uh, my understanding no, sorry, sorry I, I i interfere you like uh, yeah. it actually gets one way one step back so mm -hmm. in digital world uh one thing you need unique everybody to have unique identifier yeah so exactly. like some kind of certain number or like it doesn't have to be a number i mean like if you think about it your email is unique so yes. nobody else has that unique uh yeah. like email or like your phone number is unique yeah. So uh, there are like so many unique things around you that identify yourself, but you need something that uh, you can connect everything. Like so, let's say if you data um, like appears in private sector and you have data in the government sector, like uh, how you combine it? I mean, if for example, if you want to do uh, 
automated taxis. Like uh, you need collect information from the different uh, public sector uh, in, in, in institutions, but also you have to connect that with, uh, let's say, how, ma- how many shares you sold last year and how many, how much profit you made, etc. So yeah. it means that your banking sector needs to have the same unique idea about yourself, like government. That's the yeah. only way. How can you connect it? And it's a, it's a like engineering question. And that's one thing that UK or US or Germany hasn't understood. Like yeah. uh, you can't build a digital society if you don't have unique identifiers. And it's not something that Estonia has invented. No, it was actually invented in Sweden. And uh, the whole North Europe uses that. And also, yes, China uses that. And then India has their Aadhaar and then and, and Singapore, etc. But that's an engineering thing that allows you to connect different data sources. And the next thing is that like, you have to create this uh, chain of trust. And you are absolutely right. Like it, For us, it started with ID card that we inserted into the computers. But nobody uses ID cards anymore. It's just the first uh, step in the chain. So the police uh, sees you, the police collects your biometrics and issues a government identity. And now, on top of that, you can build your mobile ID, you can build your smart ID. So you can actually build all the kind of different technologies. And it doesn't have to be government provided. Just like uh, it's it's a chain of trust that like you can always backtrack that okay this smart ID was created using that national ID that national ID was given out by this police and this is connected with this biometrics like so can you can always track down the person in the end of the day or in the end of the chain so uh, that's what is important like so uh, yeah it's not about but a child ID. a child born in Estonia today would get a Unique digital identifier. ID number no. Like the yeah, the unique unique identifier. Like yeah. you're absolutely right. So uh, and all the e-residents, if they become uh, Estonians, they also get the unique identifier. Like that is connected with their sex and with their birth date. But the thing that I found interesting about reading about this, about when it first came about, was that the government almost acted like a startup in the sense that it gave people digital ID cards or dig- a digital unique identifier before it was certain uh, about what applications it might use them for. And it also, it, it was made compulsory, I think. Yeah, I, I think you're mixing it, uh, two mm. things here, and it's very dangerous like, to do that. So mm. giving out unique identifiers, like digital names, yeah, uh, it was already set up in 1991, so when we yeah. broke up from Soviet Union. Like, so uh, uh, because everybody understood that if you want to connect different databases or data sources, that's the only way you can do it. Like so, and that was copied from the Scandinavia, and also the same thing happened. Like similar thing is in, in was in Soviet Union and 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 East 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 European countries. Uh, so what this allows you is that you can connect data. So another thing is like that you want to uh, um, give or issue digital identity, which means that like you as a citizen have a chance to say that behind the computer, like you can't see who is behind the computer, but if this digital identity is used, uh, the government assures that this is particularly that person. And you're absolutely right. This was made was made mandatory. Uh, why it was made mandatory is, uh, it was that we copied this solution from Finns, our neighbors. Yeah. And uh, and uh, we made it mandatory because they uh, kept it voluntarily and it failed. So the same project, the same ID card, same happened in Finland a couple of years before, and they totally failed with that. 
So, and their engineers told us that, please, like, make it mandatory. And if you make it mandatory, what you get in the beginning is just, just like this chicken and egg problem. There are not enough services on the market because, like, there are not enough users. And users don't uh, see why should I take this identity if there are no services. Mm -hmm. So uh, one party needs to invest first and then wait. And you're absolutely right. I think it took us five, seven years uh, to actually uh, take it off from the ground. Uh, and I mean, that's one one of the good things to have this. Uh, if you have if you have a like small and and, and quite poor country in the beginning uh, after like breaking up from from Soviet Union, uh, we couldn't afford to cancel it. So, for example, in Australia, they have tried twice and they have cancelled it twice and they are rich, they can allow it. But we have invested a lot, like like millions, like tens of millions, even hundreds. Yeah. And like you couldn't cancel it because it wouldn't be like political suicide. So it, it's easier to just, let's say, <laughs> let's keep it down and let's wait like uh, when it matures enough. Like I can see why. So. I mean, what is fascinating for me about this is that I can see why you need a unique identifying number that allows you to cross-refer data and mix data when necessary. Uh, and as my understanding is also, by the way, that that unique identifier number is not secret. People are quite happy, you know, if, if, if you could tell me your number now and it wouldn't be a security threat to your I can do 37901214916. Brilliant. Well, I'll just go straight to the cash point. Um, but so, but what interests me is whether people, how did people react when it was made mandatory? Because I suspect a lot of the failures and a lot of the reason why other countries want it to be voluntary is people hate the idea of having a mandatory digital identity, even if they, even if they understood the reason behind it is to make access to services easier. And also what is interesting, given Estonia's history of, you know, Soviet oppression and surveillance, if you like, <laughs> to suddenly announce that everyone was going to have a unique digital ID, I can't believe there were there wasn't some opposition. Uh, no, there wasn't. Uh, and to be honest, like, uh, as I said, like unique identifiers were mandatory in 1991. So uh, how, how to say uh, it was way before people could understand it. Right. <laughs> it was just a couple of years after 1984. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, uh, another thing is that uh, I think uh, you British people, you have a wrong understanding of privacy. You think yes. that uh, if you don't have unique identifiers, then uh, somehow your privacy is protected. But what we North people, uh, not only in this country, but in, in Scandinavia and Finland, what we think is that uh, uh, privacy means control. So yeah. uh, the fact that those databases are connected, uh, and let's say I can do a comparison, uh, for example, like, how the education what I had and on the fifth grade uh, influenced my salary when I was 35. I mean, uh, you can't do any of that kind of analysis, uh, but we can, like the Nordic people can. And so we can combine any kind of data sources because they all connected with one single source. And, and the point is that on the same time, we also see who has queried our data. And we also see that uh, who has accessed our data. So let's say, Every doctor can access my patient record in Estonia. Every mm -hmm. doctor. Like, just type in the unique identifier and see. Look. But I also see that, like, this or that particular doctor has looked my data. And if I don't see a reason, 
I can make a query to the hospital why this doctor looked at my data. Yeah. And if there is no like reasonable, meaningful explanation, this doctor loses his or her job instantly. If the doctor passes that information to the journalist, three years in jail. Yeah. So now, I mean, like, that's the way how I actually control who access my data and why. So the famous GDPR, like in European Union, like yeah. uh, uh, it was uh, um, like it was applause. It was like greatly accepted by the Nordics because we have lived in our, this kind of society where they actually have to ask, do, can I actually use your like data? Do you consent me to use your data? That was our everyday already like 10, 15 years ago. So now if the Europe has the same, I mean, for us, it was like, wow, great, finally. So privacy is not about like, like this is false privacy that you think that, oh, uh, there is no unique identifier, so they can't know that like it's me in this database, on that database. No, you leave enough like footprints, digital footprints that uh, like, and we have like supercomputers now, so we can actually analyze that. We understand like it's like 99% prob probability it's actually you there. So yeah. in this database and that database. And you don't have actually, you have zero control over your data compared with us where yes, data is connected, but also uh, we see who has accessed and why. And like, as long as this country like stays democratic, like it's not a problem. Yes, if it turns to the autocratic uh, shithole, I mean, that's a different story. <laughs> Definitely. And Estonia's built the crossroad, which is the way that you can ensure that data is can be cross-referred between different databases. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's actually misleading if you use that word because it sounds like some kind of service bus, which is not like. So uh, there are seven steps what you need to go through to become a digital society. And yes, like one thing is to understand like who is behind the device. And another thing is like you have to have like super fast internet, etc. But also you have to make interoperability happen. And that yeah. was that's something that was put in place when I was 19 years old and, and doing my first coding in, in, in population registry. It was um, uh, like if you do interoperability between data sources, it needs to be standardized, it needs to be secure. And uh, instead of let, letting two programmers just to agree that how they exchange data, our government figured out like how to standardize all that. And that was super smart decision. And the X-Road is like Skype. So it's decentralized way uh, to communicate between data sources. It's not like something that goes through some one single point of uh, failure. It's some, through some kind of single point of service bus like. so. It's a it's super cool technology, and now it's copied by Finns and Iceland, and I think Sweden will join soon. So um, it's something that the private sector has used already, like like many many years. Like so, that we have we basically brought that to the government like 20 years ago. 20 so years I can ago. hear my listeners screaming. What are the seven steps to be a digital society? <laughs> they've, they've all got their ballpoint pens poised to write them down. <laughs> I mean that's a problem. Like uh, your your uh, your show is too short for that. Like so, it need, you can needs give a me long... one line on each because I want ah, to okay. go on. 
So yeah, first of all, like you need uh, you need proper network. Like so, if there is no internet, there is yeah. uh, if there is not enough Good speed, like root broadband, like so, you need yeah. that. That's the baseline. The yeah. second thing is yes, you need you need identifiers and yeah. uh, you need uh, digital identity. Once again, they are two different things, but you need to understand like who is behind the device. Plus, you need to be able to combine different data sources in private sector and the government. Like the third thing is interoperability. Um, sure, like you have to make like make it all uh, work. Uh, mm -hmm. The fourth thing is the privacy issue, like uh, what I explained, the data yeah. control and consent yeah. and everything. Like uh, the fifth is trust. Uh, so have to continuously build trust. Like so, one thing is that you say that oh nobody's peeking and nobody's looking, but another thing is that uh, like that your government action, your private sector actions, they like the way how you treat those. Uh, I mean, uh, the security flaws happen, the mistakes happen. So how those, those mistakes are treated and, and like what's the court is uh, court has to say about all this and etc. Like. So this needs to be in place. Like, what is your cyber uh, war situation like, etc. What we oh, had yeah. in 2007. So the sixth is uh, no legacy. You have to have a no legacy policy. So, so that's something that I think you preached also hasn't not I'm not understood. Like, so uh, uh, you still run certain things in mainframes and and uh, you still use COBOL in in certain areas. Uh, also, people in US. I mean. Uh, the COVID-19 uh, pointed out like uh, that you can't collect data because you don't like all those programmers who uh, coded those solutions are already dead or something like so so uh, what we have we have a no legacy policy so we can't have a government application meaning well meaningful meaningful government application or, or or database that is older than 13 years so if it like uh, becomes old enough it has to be re rewritten like it, it cannot be stayed like as it is, like it, like it was in 1960s. Like so, you constantly need to rewrite your stuff because your laws are changing, your cybersecurity situation is changing, people habits are changing. So there are many, so many things that are changing. So you need to uh, rewrite, and it's mandatory. And the last one is that you need to give hope to the people, or like you have to. Uh, motivate people like to think uh, and use the, like like to think like you and, and and to use those applications or innovations you have been creating uh, creating like uh, like we did uh, uh, to um, uh, boost uh, the usage of the ID card uh, we started to elect over the internet so uh, I'm not talking yeah, about like machines in the corner I'm talking about staying at home and voting over the internet like yes yeah, so uh, i wanted to talk about that so yeah that seems to be at the heart of that is about the most trusted service you could offer to people the their vote online knowing that their vote cannot be altered by a third party true i think a third of estonians now vote their vote online. Half. that may half now i thought last elections i mean it's a uh, uh, like and you half... can change your vote during the day, can't you? If you vote at yeah. nine o'clock in the morning and change your mind at five, you can change your vote. Oh, let's fix the statistics first. Like so, uh, <laughs> uh, around sixty percent of people actually go and vote, and half right. of them are voting over internet. Yeah. So uh, in overall, uh, yes, it's one third, but let's say half of yeah. the voters are voting yeah. over the internet. Like, yeah. and it's uh, increasing uh, every election. So. Uh, I assume and I hope it, it will bypass the the, the physical wa like voting yeah. soon. 
but yeah, your question. Yeah, yes. Uh, I mean, you can vote as many times you want over the internet. So I could so. I could vote for one person at nine o'clock and then change my mind and cancel my vote and vote again at five o'clock in the evening. Uh, your your new vote is actually cancelling automatically your previous one. That's brilliant. Fantastic. So and and it's, this is like uh, it, it sounds silly, but uh, this is actually needed for security. I mean. Let's say you have a gun and you come to my place and just say like, oh, Tavi, <laughs> vote for me. And yeah. uh, I mean, you have a gun, say like, so <laughs> I, in front of you, I vote for you. Yeah. But now you leave and <laughs> then uh, like I can vote again. So so buying a vote or forcing me to vote, uh, um, um, it's, it, it's, 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 uh, it's, it, it's a crap. I mean, like there, that, there's no point. I mean, like. Like, uh, for example, in physical vote, you can you can create the chain uh, where, let's say, uh, I come out with uh, uh, with a paper with a stamp, uh, but that is not like filled, like the election paper. Uh, you write there uh, your candidate number, and you pay to the next one to uh, put that paper into the box and bring out the new empty paper. Like and let's say you, you pay twenty pounds or something like for this kind of action, like and uh, like you can create this kind of uh, fraud in in a physical world, but in 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 virtual world it doesn't make any sense because yes I can sell sell my vote to you with twenty pounds, but then I can sell my vote to another candidate with thirty pounds, like so so you can never be sure that I actually in the end of the day voted for you, and yeah. even if you stand behind me like until the voting period ends and it's it's actually five days or even seven days. Let's say you are there, like with a the gun, then then you just still influence only one vote, which is not mm. like doesn't make any sense again. Like so, so yeah, you've uh, got to stay at somebody's. You've got to stay armed at somebody's house for seven days. It's, it's yeah. not an efficient use of your <laughs> resources. No, well, at, at least like the, f the final five minutes, but then you're only influencing <laughs> one vote. Like so, it doesn't make any sense. So. Just to wind up, I want to talk a bit, go back a bit to this uh, issue about security. I mean, you said earlier that um, uh, clearly uh, if uh, an autocratic government took over in Estonia, that would be problematic since everybody's life is online. You talked a bit in passing about cybersecurity when you were talking about the seven steps to digital government. Uh, I think Estonia is one of the leading countries in the kind of European cybersecurity policy making arena. I mean, you have got, you know, let's not beat about the bush, Russia on your doorstep and Russia is used to interfering in Estonia. Um, your cyber defences must be massively front of mind. And you had the famous cyber attack, I think, in 2007, when a lot of services mm -hmm. were mm -hmm. taken down. I mean, it's very easy to explain uh, what is different between UK and, and, and Estonia and why it's so easy to attack UK and, and not so easy to, to uh, attack Estonia. Uh, one of the principles that goes along with uh, data portability and, uh, and security is once-only policy. So in, our, in Estonia, we have uh, a policy that says that information, certain information, can be stored only in one database and that database only. So uh, let's say if you have information about passports, it can be only in like uh, population registry uh, who is on the command of uh, Minister of Internal Affairs and that's it. So if anybody else needs a passport copy or like passport information, 
they need to refer to the population register. They can't store that information by themselves. Yeah. So which means that like there are no data duplications, which means that uh, when we protect the systems, let's say, uh, and let's say that security faults always happen. I mean, that's uh, like, uh, that's a fact. And uh, let's say somebody is able to uh, hack our car registry. So mm -hmm. in the end of the day, what they get, they get car cars, uh, what cars are actually uh, here in Estonia, but who owns them? They don't have that information because for that, they need to hack also population registry. So to basically put all those the two uh, different databases together to understand who is the owner of the, of the car uh, also. So compared with UK, where you actually have uh, uh, lots of data duplications. So even if you protect heavily your population registry, as the same information is uh, multiplied in, in several other uh, databases in, in one or different form, uh, it's basically impossible to protect all of them in a on the same level. And it's also costly. I mean, like, instead of uh, protecting one, you need to protect multiple uh, data sources. Like, so, uh, so it's, the, it's, it's, a, it's a or, or, already the question of the architecture, how, how the whole digital society is built. And uh, Estonia, as we have to be efficient as we, as I said, like we broke apart from Soviet Union in 1991, so, so we had to start collecting our gold since then, uh, which means that we can't invest a lot. We can't invest uh, too much on IT and, and, and security, so we have to do it in a smart way. So we have always put the engineering ideas first and then the politics comes after. Like So uh, so in UK, it seems to be vice versa. You put the politics first and then the engineering <laughs> like just suffers. I mean, they can't do anything. Like so, uh, if I'm not sure how much uh, more of this abuse I can take, Tubby. <laughs> <laughs> what, Tubby? You, you said pioneered... it's a funny show, like so. <laughs> <laughs> You've pioneered this idea of the digital embassy, though, as well, which is you basically backed up your data in other countries. Yeah, that's my BHP. The Estonian government, if, you know, again, to be very blunt, if there was an invasion, the Estonian government could function remotely. Uh, it's uh, yes and no. Uh, yeah. I mean, um, like, uh, from yes, the I data... The no is. Yeah, from the data storing and data protection perspective, uh, and uh, let's say using your... Um, using your, your registries in the cloud, uh, it's true. Uh, so, for example, like, we could uh, act, let's say, like uh, Jews before the country of Israel was born. So, uh, it's always about the people and people's minds. So, if I want to be, um, let's say, connected with my, my nation, and we all agree that we obey certain culture and other rules, uh, we can survive even if we don't have country, like Jews. I mean, it's it's a good, very good example. Like it was thousands of years before the country of Israel was born, like in 1947 or 48. Uh, don't remember exactly. But uh, if um, uh, the problem there is that uh, that if you have those registries online and you still yeah. have, uh, let's say, autocratic government here with the uh, with the iron wrist, uh, there is always a question of uh, free mind or free will. So let's yeah. say, um, I mean, uh, owning a property here in Estonia is fully digital, which means that if you come and say that, uh, oh, this house belongs to me and you show some kind of paper, but at the registry we have different information, the registry always wins. I mean, yeah. uh, we always trust the registry. Yeah. 
So, and let's say now uh, you live in Estonia that is uh, governed by Aaron Rest, and uh, somebody pulls a trigger and says, like, like please write, uh, let's, let's register that now this house belongs to me. Yeah. And uh, and you have to do it because there is a gun and some and everything. So there is a question of free will. So yeah. this is not solved yet. So yeah. uh, yes, I mean, like if the country is under heavy cyber attack or let's say national disaster, or whatever. Yes, we could run over registries and applications outside from a, like physical country. Like we could do that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but uh, we haven't solved the free will question yet. So just uh, briefly, as we wind up, it's been a fascinating discussion. I want another very clunky gear change. We mentioned in passing during the whole discussion that Skype was built in Estonia. What is the Estonian tech scene uh, like? I know a lot of US investors obviously take a close look at uh, the startup scene in Estonia. Are there any particular companies that stand out that uh, you think <laughs> are going to... There is one that somehow UK claims to be theirs, transferwise. Yes. Yeah, that's ours. <laughs> that's, that's yours. Ah. Yes. Do you know who are the two founders? Yes. Do you know where the their uh, <laughs> development center is? So fintech <laughs> is a thing. Fintech I mean, is a like, thing. No, no, transferwise is definitely an Estonian company, uh, and like proud to be one of the the micro investors there. Like so. Uh, the scene is yes. I mean, uh, Bolt. That's the second largest, like uh, uh, I say, modernized taxi yeah. company after Uber yeah. in uh, Europe and in Africa. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that's also Estonian uh, company, 100%. Uh, like lots of things happening. So uh, if you take the investment money per capita, then we are number two in the world after Israel and ahead of. Oh US. really? Yeah, how fascinating. So uh, we have more startups than our neighbors, Latvia and Lithuania together combined, even though they are four or five times larger populations than we are. Um, so we have five unicorns, I think, at the moment uh, coming out from here. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it's a great, great country and great startup scenery. And, and I truly believe that, that our government continues to support this, uh, I mean, they have never given too much money to this kind of projects, but they have been always positive about those new initiatives and implementations. And even if the laws need to be tested, like they are supportive. Exactly. And, and I mean, that's one of the things I've, I think I've learned, you know, and I think the UK, although it's getting a very bad press in this podcast, has been quite good at um, leaning into tech. And I think as a small example in Estonia, you know, I read that you know, you're, you keep pushing the boundaries, for example, on self-driving cars in terms of, you know, a level three car, which requires a human being able to intervene is allowed to drive on any Estonian road. And you may, you know, you may end up as the first country in the world to allow level five cars, which require no human intervention at all to drive on public roads. So it's that kind of thing of, of constantly being aware of regulations that might hold back. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't give so much credit uh, too much credit to to my country also even though I would like to uh, we need to understand where we are and uh, what is like I'll say our ability to invest and 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 especially invest into the science and that's one of the areas where we haven't been great so we actually choose our battles let's say 
Uh, I don't know if you are familiar with a uh, with a startup called Starship. So it's no. the deliver the, those uh, delivery robots uh, running on the sidewalks. Uh, so they are not on the road, but they are on the on, on oh, the sidewalks. I, yeah, I've, I think I've met them in the yeah, UK. Those, yeah, those white the little uh, boxes small, on yeah, four wheels. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. I have met Starship. Actually, they came wheels, of course they came out wheels. of Skype, didn't they? Uh, one of the founders is the yeah. founder of Skype also, yeah. That's right, yeah. And uh, so, uh, but it's not, it wasn't regulated. Like, uh, can independent uh, driving uh, robots uh, uh, like ride on the sidewalks? And so uh, they, the first law uh, to support and to make an example was, was also created here in Estonia because it was Estonian startup. So yes, I mean, there we are super advanced. But let's say self-driving cars, I still believe that they will start to come out first from US. I mean, because the innovation is there and the infrastructure is there. I mean, like, it's so much easier uh, to do it without ice, without snow, without dark, without uh, mud, etc. So Estonia is not a good place. I mean, it's too, how to say? Hostile. Yeah, too many many unknowns in in the equation. And you you are working with Geo now, the Indian... Company. Yeah, absolutely right. So, which has uh, been in the news already. It's not, it's flavor of the month. Facebook invested. Everyone wants to invest in Geo, and they've obviously got something right because they're here in Estonia and they've hired you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but no, no. Geo is a Geo is a great company, and uh, um, and to be honest, like I'm fascinated, like uh, like how big steps the India as a society is making. Uh, first of all, they have understood that their unique identifier is needed, and that's why they implemented the Aadhaar number, and yeah. that's something that that your people has not have not like understood yet. But they did so it for like a billion people, one point three yes. absurd billion. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And it's about, but it's like uh, I mean, it's not unbelievable. It's something that you need from the engineering perspective. It's not. It's like. I mean, not having unique identifier is something like you say to a German engineer, like, please build me a car, but you can't use a wheel. Yeah. I mean, like, how the hell I can build you a car without a wheel? Like, yes, I have wheels. Like, yes, I yeah. can build you a helicopter, but like, uh, yeah. uh, for a car, I still need a wheel. Like, so, yeah. so, 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 so India has understood and, and the way how they're moving on, I mean, it's, it's, it's super fast. And like, uh, if you haven't done it yet, like you should invest into India, like, uh, Incredible people and incredible nation. You're going to have to give me some tips of who to interview for the podcast from India. I'll, I'm going to stretch uh, my definition. Of, I'm going to stretch my. Yes. Don't say it. <laughs> we'll I do it over make. email. But um, <laughs> I'm going to stretch my definition of Europe to include India. But so, Geo, I mean, what I wanted to say as the final point was that this is an example of India is now taking interest in Estonia. Are you seeing Indian investors and Indian government officials? turning up and saying we need your help and advice or we want to know what's going on no no i mean like uh first of all they are proud nation proud people like so yeah. uh they look for any kind of uh, help yeah, yeah. uh like they are copying things from china they're copying things from other societies like so they're smart they're super smart yeah. and uh so why they need us like or where we can help them is that we can translate a certain uh changes what you will have in every digital society. So let's say, like how the society will start to act if everybody is using digital signature. Yeah. Or like, uh, I mean, like they need to understand this because then the, the scale is so much different compared with Estonia. It's exactly 1000 times dif- different. Yeah. So, 
So, uh, so uh, like uh, they are, I'll say, using us or like uh, using our help, especially only to translate which are the cornerstones or like basic elements that every society, digital society needs, how mm -hmm. to build them, what are their potential mistakes. I mean, like we have made so many mistakes dur during this journey. They want yeah. to to learn at least some of them. I mean, like you can't uh, avoid all of them, but like like to, if mm -hmm. it's possible to understand them in advance, and how it influences the the, the society in India or potentially influences the society in India. So that's where we help them. But I mean, like, come on, we don't have like WeChat or like we don't have like any of those like uh, uh, TikToks or something like they can copy from from China or like Facebook yeah. from from US. Like, uh, yeah. so uh, that's I think why India is so smart. They they just copy the best from everybody. So this podcast has turned out exactly how I wanted it to. I've been schooled. We call it schooled in England. <laughs> corrected at least seven times my country's digital reputation slowly skewered but i think um but you're good at marketing <laughs> you yeah have. i mean everybody knows that uk is great in digitalization <laughs> like i never understood that but like uh <laughs> like they i mean this d5 and d9 and what we created together like you remember <laughs> i'm trying to wrap this up <laughs> but um what i was going to say is i think you've shown us you've illustrated brilliantly what happens in Estonia, what the uniqueness of the digital society that's been created in Estonia is. And also, I love the fact that we ended with this riff on India as a good example of this kind of interconnected world where good things, good things are happening in a, at a point when I think people are feeling relatively bleak about lots of things. But this is, uh, it's fascinating to have heard not just what is happening inside Estonia, but also the impact that this Estonia is happening uh, everywhere else so thank you so much for agreeing to do this podcast with me it's boiling hot in london less hot in estonia and you did it with me after your supper when you quite happily have been entitled to sit on your deck uh, with a nice uh, glass or something and uh, relax and watch the sunset so i'm immensely grateful thank you very much tabby thank you Thanks for listening to this episode of The Vasey View, a production of Kindred Media.